everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Attendance Bias. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. Today's guests are able to offer a unique insight into Fish's music because they each play in a Fish cover band. Not only that, but they both play keyboards in separate Fish cover bands. What are the odds? One of our guests, Nate, plays keyboards in a Fish cover band called Adam Knight's Buried Alive, and Hannah plays keys for the Lumpy Heads. Both bands are based out of the Carolinas and play around the Southeast, so if you're a Fish fan from Asheville to Atlanta, keep your eyes out for Adam Knight's Buried Alive and the Lumpy Heads. It may not be a shock to find out that both Nate and Hannah run in kind of the same social circles, so as a result, Nate took Hannah to her first Fish shows, July 31st and August 1st of 2021, Fish's first tour back after the postponed 2020 summer tour. While both Alpharetta shows are excellent, Nate and Hannah agreed on one major highlight to discuss today, the band's 30-minute version of Tweezer that was played on night two at Alpharetta, August 1st, 2021. A major highlight of the year and possibly of the band's career, this Tweezer journeys all over the place with ambience, straight rock, funky start-stop jamming, and much more. So, let's join Nate and Hannah to talk about why foam is easier to play than you think, getting some alone time on the lawn, and more as we discuss Tweezer from August 1st, 2021 in Alpharetta, Georgia. Nate and Hannah, welcome to Attendance Bias. Thank you for being here. This is a first in that having two musicians, each that play in Fish cover bands on this podcast. So this is exciting. I have so many questions, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But before we introduce each of you and get into why you're here, well, one reason why you're here, though, is to discuss an epic monster tweezer from the summer tour of 2021, and that is from August 1st, 2021, at what I found out is called Ameris Bank Amphitheater. But, Nate, I'm guessing for all intents and purposes, it's just Alpharetta, right? Yes. So we have Nate from Adam Knight's Buried Alive and Hannah from The Lumpy Heads. Hannah, how are you? I'm well. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Excited to talk about this tweezer and also excited to hear a little bit about what it is like being in a Fish cover band, having been in various bands, both original and cover bands myself. I always thought that being in a Fish cover band would be impossible. I thought it would be impossible for there to even exist a Fish cover band when there's a Grateful Dead cover band on every corner on any given night. Their songs are, for the most part, a lot simpler in terms of musical technique. Fish, when I was learning to play the drums and I would sit down and listen to something like David Bowie or You Enjoy Myself, I would say, well, this is not going to happen. This is impossible. So I'm really curious what it's like to be on the inside looking out for those of us who air guitar or air drum. But those both of you do neither. You're both keyboard players, right? Yes. So let me ask you, Nate, how did the two of you meet? Is there just some listserv or text thread for all the Fish cover band keyboard players? Uh, no, we met we met organically around town, really. Hannah went to um, the governor's school, like the art school in Greenville. Uh, it's a ma- is the, it a magnet school? It was actually the Fine Arts Center. Oh, the Fine Arts Center. That's what it's called. Yes. And so she has played around. And I think the first time I met Hannah was at like kind of a, a super jam with, with uh, Drew Wally. Yeah. 
uh, he was doing a super jam, like a friend of ours, mutual friend of ours doing a super dan- jam dead thing. There was Hannah there and another guy on keys. And I, for some reason, I only had my synth and I, I just got up for a few minutes. I was like, you know, I'm going to let these guys get to it. They're all having fun. And I just mostly watched that night. But um, but then I knew they were in something called Jerry's Nub, which is a kick-ass dead tribute that they were in. Um, these young guys, like, like my little nieces and nephews, <laughs> like, so there was Jerry's nub. And then once I was catering and I saw the same guys, y'all were doing a jazz combo thing mm-hmm. at, uh, at Zen. So just, uh, just around the scene is, is kind of how we've met. And we, we talked a little bit. Yeah. I think our friendship really began to blossom after, um, I went and saw Adam Knight's Buried Alive. Because they're based in Greenville, South Carolina, which is where I'm from. My best friend actually takes lessons from Adam Knight himself, the guitar player of the cover band. And so we went and all went and saw them at a local brewery and all kind of like rekindled connections that we had. And since we both played fish, we just kind of like stayed in touch ever since and stuff and have been able to have a really cool friendship of like, sharing the music from the same lens and learning the same tunes and sending each other lead sheets and transcription ideas and all that. So it's been really fun. Well, Hannah, yeah. you just revealed that Nate's band is Adam Knight's Buried Alive. What is the name of your fish cover band? So we are called the Lumpy Heads. Um, we initially were called Gunslinging Parrots when I joined. I um moved to Asheville during my freshman year of college in um, the spring of 2021. And I was actually just starting to really get into fish at the time was at the end of 2020 into 2021. So I went and saw this. They play every Thursday night at the one stop, which is a um, iconic bar in downtown Asheville. They've got music six out of the seven days a week, like all night or until 2 a.m. when they close. And um, Great pizza. Yeah, it's <laughs> so good. The pizza's been <laughs> And everybody there is really cool. But um, I heard that there was a Fish cover band playing around, and that was the closest thing that I could have possibly gotten to seeing Fish live at the time. So I would take the bus over from my school to the downtown and go and um, – told them that I was just a huge fan of their music and stuff. And then I guess through just playing in the scene and I was doing like a Grateful Dead jam, one of the other nights, the drummer in the band saw me play and gave me his number and just stayed in touch if they ever needed a substitute. And then one day they needed a sub. And then I came in and I never left the band after that. I really, uh, Lou Gehrig did, you know, Lou Gehrig, when he set his record for most number of game consecutive baseball games played, the first baseman sat out that day with a headache and then Lou Gehrig came in and just never left, played yeah. for something like 3000 games straight. It worked out really well because the piano player at the time got offered another really amazing musical opportunity that kind of was more acquaint, like fit more with his schedule and availability and it worked out great for me because I was getting super duper into fish at the time. So like each week I was having to learn like a whole set list worth of new tunes. And our guitarist back in the day was like knew all of the tunes. And so she would send us a set list with some of the hardest songs and be like, we're not changing the set list. And so I would 
be toying away in my in my dorm room like during exam week transcribing foam and stuff trying to get all these tunes learned but it was really cool getting to like get into fish and learn the music at the same time i think it really had an influence on me and my playing so hannah you listed Asheville as kind of your base of operations is that where any listeners here could see you in the in the bands that you're in absolutely so um so the Lumpy Heads, we still play at the One Stop every Thursday night from 10 to 1. We play around town on other times. Like we play at another brewery called One World West. They're all very close to downtown Asheville and have an amazing scene there. But um, the weekly Thursday gigs usually keep us pretty busy because we all have other bands and stuff that we do. So for the Lumpy Heads, Asheville is definitely the primary location. And we also stream on IMAVL's YouTube page. So if you're not able to go out and make it to the show in person, we're able to get a good amount of people watch it through the live stream as well. And Nate, how about Adam Knight's Buried Alive? Uh, you see, you mentioned South Carolina before. Where would most people or any listeners in the Southeast be able to catch you guys? That is uh, varies a little bit more. Um... Unfortunately, Greenville and really South Carolina is having a problem with venues closing down because of liquor licenses. If you look at what's called South Carolina venue crisis, like it's a thing. There's We're getting people to sign petitions. So like three of our places have closed down, which sucks. But uh, last night, uh, Friday, we played a pri- private party. We'll be at Swanson's Warehouse on July 28th, uh, but we go. We really go out of town more than play locally. So we've gone to. Uh, we're looking at one at Smith's Bar in Atlanta. We've been to Lincoln Theater in Raleigh twice, and then Whorehouse in Charleston. We've played mostly. We've played on the deck there. Um, so some, those are kind of some of our main circuit. We're kind of um, trying to get into Charlotte. So it's it's a little bit of a challenge because we we are not quite uh, Asheville as far as cool places to play, <laughs> um, but we are uh, we are getting to some cool places. Um, Atlanta, we had two gigs that weren't so huge, and then the third one that we just played, we got a great turnout, and it was like yes, we're we're in with Atlanta now. It's it's a little more challenging. The challenge of doing every every week in a weekly residency, like that kind of makes my brain hurt because uh, I do get to sit in with them from time to time. I'm aware that they don't repeat show after show in the same place. So that's, that's a challenge. So we have, we have a little more breathing room as far as planning our sets and things. And we, uh, we try not to repeat uh, in the same town or the same place. So we, but we do try to have something new, like almost every every set. So what happens is we'll play new songs here, and then the same new songs a couple times in a row, and then we don't repeat them, and then they kind of get sprinkled in later. And that's just kind of a pattern that's worked for us. But it's it's the most fun thing ever. Uh, I found the way I found them was there were three of them in a photo because their um, their keyboard guy um, was sick that day, and so I saw the photo and I reached out and said, so is your third guy. And like, why is there three of you? Do you want some keys? I just got this Nord Electro came to an audition, auditioned with Maze, auditioned with Stash and Susie. And then I was in and it's been the most fun thing ever. 
Well, you mentioned coming up with set lists and how that's a challenge sometimes. You know, fish fans kind of create, you know, algorithmic, drive you up the wall, a beautiful mind style studies of how and why <laughs> yes. pick certain set lists and why did they play this song? And I didn't like that they played Susie after Maze, you know, and, and so on and so forth and count me among them. I'm wondering as fans yourselves, are you able to kind of separate your fandom from your role as a performer in that are there songs that you favor or that do you, are you able to kind of play with enthusiasm songs that you personally don't like as an audience member when you go to see fish. So a lot of their newer stuff like more or uh, set your soul free. If you go to the bathroom during those show, during those performances, when you go see fish, but when you're on stage now, you have to play it with as much enthusiasm. Do you ever find any conflict there between your personal preference and then your role as a performer? Hannah, do you ever uh, come up with that? Does that ever pose a challenge for you? Or is it this the first time um, you've ever thought of it because of me? Oh, no, I've definitely thought about it before. And usually like going into the show. So I write the set lists for the Lumpy Heads. And so um, I definitely trickle in all of that like algorithmic stuff or like piece together like try and tell a story through the set lists and how lyrics interchange with each other because it's like Trey's songwriting is like this big pool of words that all are kind of the same and then they use all these words in different conglomerations throughout these different songs so it's cool how they can all like interweave together that being said, there are a few songs that I don't typically listen to a ton, but when it comes to performing them, I tend to enjoy performing them more than I enjoy listening to them. Have there been any songs that you've grown to appreciate better? Like the first time you heard it live as an audience member, you didn't care for it. You went to go get a beer, but now that you learned how to play it, now you it's something that you like and appreciate even more. What's yeah. an example of one of those songs? I would say that Susie Greenberg is one of them just because when I got really into fish, I was super into like the complex stuff. And so I was like, this one's a little on the simpler side, but it's still groovy and I like it. But then like learning how to play it and then giving, getting to like actually have like the page solo in that song completely changed it and made it much more enjoyable. And now it's like one that I enjoy listening to and watching and playing. Yeah, um, no, I just I just thought actually of a pretty good example. It's also a good time, uh, a good chance to mention my other band. So my other band is called Origami. It's a it's a play on origami, like folding paper, but with an aura, like a new age aura. Uh, so we do a, a wide range of covers. But um, so the song that I thought of when you mentioned that is uh, Everything's Right. And I actually played that with them first. Um, I thought, well, it's a great lyric. It's a good feel good song. Um, it's fitting for Aragami's sound. It's simpler. It is not the first thing I would go to listen to, but it's extremely cathartic to play. And uh, Buried Alive, we we debuted our first Everything's Right just over the weekend. Um, and it went on for a good 15 minutes, and it was just so mellow and so... And also, I think it's a great, uh, it's a great pandemic song. Um, the album came out in the middle of COVID. It was just a gift to everybody. And to hear everything's right, but really the just hold tight part, really just right here. Uh, so that is that is definitely one that I would not have thought of as much until we started playing it. It feels more feels deeper and uh, more more meaningful. And the uh, the songs that are easier to play also feel better to play. And I understand what 
Trey uh, goes a lot to the easier ones because they're they're cathartic. Um, you don't have to overthink. You don't have to be like, like with Reba, it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna mess it up. I'm gonna mess it up. I gotta like you don't have that uh, mental load when you do the easier ones. I'd say Character Zero is another one, kind of like that. It just feels it just feels so good. We've heard about each of you as players. Uh, so those of you at home or in your car listening. Uh, if you're in the uh, Asheville area or the Greenville area, or I guess kind of anywhere in the Southeast when it comes to uh, Buried Alive, check him out, look him up. Well, let's hear about the two of you, Nate and Hannah, as fans, as fish fans, not just fish players, as part of the Attendance Bias Lightning Round. Attendance Bias Lightning Round. Hannah, what was your first fish show and what do you remember about it? Alpharetta 2021 was my first fish show. Oh, so we're here. We're going to yeah, hear about yeah. it in just a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and it was to this date probably the best weekend of my entire life. <laughs> Maybe That's not. I don't know. It's up there, but it was a great time. But I was so excited and could not believe that I was getting to like hear all of this music live from the source itself getting to just be with a community of people that were all singing and dancing and knowing the lyrics. And we actually had a, um, the first night there were like a line of people that we were all at on the ra- or on the lawn that um, were all fish keyboard players. And so all of us <laughs> oh, yeah. knew the parts and it was so cool. Like at set break, we were all talking about it and stuff. So that was really cool. Did they happen to play the squirming coil at any point during that show? Cause I feel all of you must've just, Tripped over yourselves. I don't no. think there was a there was no coil that weekend. Uh, There's no coil, but there was a um, killer turtle in the clouds that I had never witnessed before. So getting to like watch was, them all dance too was super cool. Live that was one of the that was one of the main highlights for me, especially night one. I just those Kesvat Vox songs. They are just so absolutely giddy when they are playing those songs, and that's the the. Thing about fish i love is when they're when they're giddy they're just so like oh i get to play these songs um <laughs> and they did the dance and it just always like yes turtle in the cloud so good <laughs> oh i was gonna say my friends and i were all um like trying to figure out what songs they were gonna open with and stuff and they ended up playing ghost the night before but we were all like what if they opened with ghost and stuff like that and then they opened with sand and we were just like i'll take it I was like, yeah. tomato, tomato. <laughs> I'm cool with it. And so yeah. that was a really cool start to the two-night run. Nate, what was your first show? And what do you remember um, about it? Charlotte 99, which back then was Blockbuster. And it's been three other things. And now it's some boring bank. Basically Charlotte. <laughs> like, um, And that was the first time they've played there. And actually, to this day, I haven't missed a show there. That's kind of my home place. So I've summer. There's been some talk about summer '99 on your podcast. I agree with all of it. I think it is one of the best and most underrated tours. Summer and fall '99. Like I'm a '99 guy all the way. This one, so July 7th. If you look it up, this is an odd set list for um, a new fan. There was a lot of things going on. I didn't know. It was the second time they played What's the Use. I had no idea what it was. It was the first time ever my ears heard Down With Disease and that, that riff, that lick in Down With Disease that is a that is a dopamine triggering lick, guitar lick. It's just, so I heard this and that was a huge, that was a good 10, 12 minutes just blazing, ripping, 
type one uh, disease jam. Uh, so the 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 uh, the set started with two thousand one, which but like ten minutes of that was just space noise. And I was in line. I was like, okay, they're gonna start something. Okay, like I didn't know about two thousand one. I didn't know about disease. Uh, another funny thing is I was working at a summer camp, and a guy uh, drove me there. He had his own ticket, so I kind of was left on my own on the lawn. Um, but he had told me that oh, if they play Yim, they play you enjoy myself. Like that's really special. They don't play it that much. And if they play it, like that's a huge rarity. It would be like so. Um, he's kind of more into panic. So he had this idea that like, this was a rarity. They did play Yim, and I I'm pretty sure that's their shit. most played song live. Yeah, like, by a yeah. lot. Um, I mean, he may have been thinking like for this tour, they're not like I don't know, but they played it. Played Yim. I just like <gasps> you know because I was 19. I'm pretty sure I was pretty much sober i don't think i did uh any anything illegal that time and then Derek trucks for the encore he came out for um uh, possum and bitch so so i mm. learned a lot i learned a lot uh there was a my left toe uh it was like velvet sea my left toe like um some this great ambient stuff i, I think um stacked up with other tours uh other shows in 99 it was not i would not say it was a highlight of the summer it was a, it was an odd first show but uh still memorable still awesome um first any first fish show is is gonna be a good time well, switching ahead fast forwarding a bit nate what was your most recent show and what did my you think most recent show was uh alpharetta 21 Oh wow, it's so, coming up quite a yeah. bit today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know if it's been made clear yet, but uh I was taking Hannah to her first show. For oh no, I did not we know that. This, okay. Yeah, yeah. We went to this. Show. That's that's kinda of, that was my idea for this was that we went to this together. Um taking taking somebody to their first show is such a such an honor. And I, I think there should be a sponsorship program for fans. Big to brothers. Take younger fans. Like <laughs> yeah, like a like a sponsor sponsor a noob like because uh hannah was the main thing i remember was hannah was just ecstatic and it made me remember my first few shows she was like calling her friends with the play-by-play of what was played and to me like i haven't seen more it's like just kind of a happy blur i'm like yeah yeah it was great it's a good time yes like, I, was you know. I was losing my mind the whole week <laughs> yeah. i was like he did such a good job of just like having like a safeguard or like a buddy system or like a home base to come to over the weekend was super duper nice because yeah. other than nate like none of my friends were able to make it and stuff so it was like within my group and um my other band that I play with back at home where we're all big fish fans and stuff. It's like, it was interesting going off and doing this thing on my own. And so having Nate there was really cool and um, definitely made the experience special and gave me a ride. So that was, well, that's clutch. Yeah. (laughs) It was was such an honor. Um, In 2000, I took my brother to his first show and he's three years older than me. But it was mostly because he had a ride. He had the car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was I was a little bit terrified because I do not like driving. And also I had met I had met her mom, who is super cool. But when I've met somebody's mother and they know that I'm taken to a fish show, I'm I'm like informally, like unspokenly charged with I'm responsible for for her safety, which is like, you know, um, and nobody said anything like that, but I just felt that, you know, as a dad, 
um because i've got my kids are they're not old enough to go to shows yet yeah so i was a little bit i was a little bit scared more scared the second night because i was driving and then somebody else also needed a ride so the ride oh, that home was crazy um, that was so yeah. funny <laughs> yeah yeah um i felt i felt pretty good driving home at all it all went great but um there was a, a just a little tiny bit of terror about something something going. i was also in the middle of my divorce like my divorce had not finalized yet and you know anything bad happens could throw off a lot of things. So that, that probably made me be more careful. But during tweezer, during the tweezer that we were talking about, she had ran up to the front and I was like, Oh, she's running around somewhere. Like, Oh, it's okay. And then I kind of was like, well, she's at the front. She's adorable. So they let her up. Front. I didn't get very far. A great I was just exploring. I didn't get up too far, but I just, I was like, I don't know. I've come to really enjoy like, if I have the freedom to be at a fish show or not just alone, but I do have some like alone time at the show. I just love dancing and walking and singing along to the songs and getting into the song through like moving around the crowd and like, I'm like that too. Doing. Like in the GA, it's like the lawn, yeah. especially it's, it was really cool. And I ran into some friends, like another Asheville keyboardist during the tweezer. He was on the other side of the lawn, and we were just like, "Oh, who? Well, we, um, who was you know, it? Gus." Yeah, yeah, no, Gus. Yeah, I saw oh, Gus. Cool. I run into Gus at fish shows quite frequently now. It's so funny. It's just like oh, maybe I saw Gus at some point. There's a good, there's a good chance that I saw Gus. Yeah. Switching gears um, a little bit, Nate. I, I assume you've been playing keyboards for longer than you've been in this cover band in Buried Alive. But when you kind of made that shift and you said, all right, now I'm in a fish cover band, were there any songs in fish's repertoire that you were kind of intimidated to learn? Like you felt like it bit off a little more than you could chew with like, all right, well, next week we're going to have foam. We're going to play foam at practice. And you kind of um, like turned pale. Split open and melt has a weird section for like me and Hannah have talked about it. Um, there's about 30 seconds that is, just indecipherable there's a transcript <laughs> somewhere that trey has released of that but it's a mess and it's, it's got stuff scratch. missing it has a note that says something is missing from here um <laughs> i've seen other keyboard players make videos and they're both different and they're both different from the transcript but just uh doing it enough i'm able to get through it i actually played it earlier with gunslinging so there's times when i played a song uh, with gunslinging parrots or lumpy heads that I haven't done with Buried Alive yet. So I, I crash course, learn it quickly to get through a gig. And then I study it more. I have more time to study it with Buried Alive. There are other things that are difficult. Uh, one of your questions was, what's difficult that people wouldn't think of? I would say uh, a lot of singing, uh, especially Paige has some has some higher parts. Uh, it's easy to get off key or you go falsetto when you should be kind of belting. But he's got an amazing range. Good times, bad times, maybe not happening unless somebody. I was gonna say, to do, do you have to hit that part, yeah. the Robert Plant part, toward the end? Um, no, we have not. We have not considered good times, bad times yet, and it may be a you know like anything could happen. Mercury, it's easy to learn, but it requires laser-like focus to do the the Red Queen part part is in seven eighths and then there's the da, 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 there's the arpeggios with the marimba part and then it's like how do we do a marimba part we had we had to make a choice to interpret that um, but that requires just requires so much focus and we've played it three times i don't think we've quite nailed it and then the um 
uh, water stars singing. Like that's hard to sing um, at Paige's range. So there's vocal challenges and focus challenges. It doesn't sound as difficult, but um, that's a that's a more recent one. But man, the jam is oh, yeah. worth it. It's worth I wish Fish would still do it. Um, um, Hannah, on the flip yeah. side, instead of songs that you were intimidated to learn or that psyched you out a little bit, the opposite. Were there any songs that, when it was suggested to you, you thought they would be really difficult but turned out to be a lot simpler than you predicted? Yeah. So especially with some other early compositions, you notice that Trey uses a lot of similar motifs in a lot of the same songs. Like learning foam was honestly a little easier for me than I thought it was going to be. I was a little intimidated because it just sounds so dissonant and stuff, but it it really is just like going up chromatically and then allowing the chords to kind of shift accordingly with that. And then there's just like that one, like the da 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 He also, Paige also uses that same idea, those same notes. He spaces them out farther and... um switches it up a little bit but that's a similar motif that's used when in golgi when it's like they call him liza because i run so fast it's like oh yeah i hear it now and it's interesting that they all come from that similar album or the same album. Hey, um, i thought you know that's also in fluffhead right before they mm-hmm. go to chase he goes da, na, 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 and he does it and, um, before they hit the which, sea yeah yeah the, into the beast but uh, um I would say that that was definitely a simpler tune. Yem was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be, but that's just for the piano part because I know that the guitar player part on that is a lot more challenging. Those two complex songs I found to be relatively simpler than some of the others. Rift was also one that I was kind of intimidated by at first, but once you get the flow of it, that's probably my favorite song to play. It's, oh, it's so much fun. It's so, it's so much fun. It <laughs> feels so good. And Reba, of course, is like, I was really intimidated by that one, but I was taking it piece by piece. And I, in my other um, band, and um, I'll go ahead and throw this in now real quick, but um, Jerry's Nub, the band that Nate was telling y'all about earlier, we've evolved into a new band called Fern and um, also based in Greenville. We play uh dead fish pink floyd steely dan like anything you can think of are in the process of writing originals we're starting to kind of work on learning reba and or we had played like tweezer and a couple of other easy fish tunes while we were still predominantly grateful dead and then when i started listening to reba i was like i have to learn this and tipped away at it slowly but surely and I mean, that one's really hard, but once you kind of develop the muscle memory to it and look at the way that like the keys move, there's a flow to it that is really cool, but that also came with like a lot of trial and error. But I imagine yeah. most of these songs come with a lot of trial and error. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, to wrap this up, my favorite question, I think everybody's favorite question on the lightning round, Hannah, and then Nate, what is the weirdest thing you've ever seen at a fish show? Well, as a thing of itself, maybe not like a specific thing, like the outfits that people wear is like one of my side <laughs> plots because everybody looks great first off, but you just see t-shirts 
that have the most niche statements on them at like the specific point of your time at the fish shows. And it's just like interesting that I'm reading a shirt that says this exact same thing as I'm thinking this exact thought right now. So that's been a little trippy. Oh, the weirdest thing I've seen at a fish show. I went to Dick's this past year and watching Lucky. a naked guy run around after um, <laughs> when the storm hit. That was pretty, that was pretty wild. I didn't actually get to see the naked guy when he first ran out, but before he went out, everybody was just coming and taking turns, like making their run for it and just watching the crowd act just like they're like fish is coming back on like we ain't going nowhere and everybody was just like having fun i was cracking up i was like it was it was a cool opportunity to get some time for the the theme of the show or like the first set was like the audience and then the second was like the long set that they played and so i think that whole experience was just so weird nate how about yourself weirdest thing you've ever seen at a fish show I had to think kind of hard about this because you see things and you're like WTF and then you forget things. So the the weird the weird thing that I've chosen uh, to relate actually uh, is more in my mind was in a weird place because of reasons. So this is a Coventry story, but this is not the sad part of Coventry. This was the hanging out before Coventry, before the shows. So um, that actually I had that was a good time, like hanging out before things happened the way they happened at Coventry. Um, but there was a gypsy wagon, like this wooden wagon thing that was being like marched around on the ground. Kind of like, yes. On the ground. Oh, was it the big elephant? I don't know. To me, if we're, I don't know if we're talking about the same thing to me, there was a giant wooden elephant on wheels, but anyway, anyway, huh. Go on, the giant well, gypsy in my, wagon. In my perception, um, you know, <laughs> through, through 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 time or however this is remembered, what I remember was a gypsy wagon, and there was like this little parade of these like vaudeville bohemian people, and I don't know, like fire jugglers. They were kind of, and the wagon started going back and forth, and going back and forth some more, and then some more people kind of piled on. So this like funny little procession and um, somehow uh, I got it, me and maybe whoever I was hanging out with, we got it into our heads that uh, fish was in that wagon and that that was going to be the secret set. And they were going to march around and like eventually um, do a, do a surprise set in the wagon. So this is what we thought was going to happen. So um, it was walk, marching around and then I started getting, you start getting weird, like deep, you start thinking really deep about things. I started thinking like, man, this is just the whole, the whole fish experience. We're all just following this thing mindlessly. And it's just, we're all going to die. And like, you know, like getting real existential and funny about it. And then the wagon, uh, it parked somewhere and me and a guy were just saying like, okay, they're, they're going to come out. They're going to do their set. We were just standing watching this thing for like, I don't know, two hours. And, you know, because of the way our minds were, and there was one guy, he was kind of like trying to, it, was, it seemed like there was somebody guarding it, maybe like somebody on the staff was, and a guy was trying to ask him all these tricky questions, like trick him into saying that fish was going to play there. So they're about two hours, kind of gave up and then found out later that actually the sound check had just happened. They were doing the sound check jam. We missed the sound check jam <laughs> because of all this. <laughs> so. Uh, kind of a funny weird story um but also uh, uh the way things were in 2004 
kind of a metaphor for the whole thing and a weird way the way your mind thinks of makes makes profound connections out of nothing so <laughs> that's my funny weird story when was this show played so today's jam today's tweezer from august 1st 2021 was played at alpharetta this was night one of two nights or night two of the two night, night, two. night two all right so over the last couple of episodes, we've had a lot of people on who want to talk about shows from this summer 2021 tour. And the more you listen to it, the more obvious it becomes why this tour was so popular, why it's so strong. Uh, so I wanted to ask you just a couple of questions uh, about what it was like. Uh, personally, I only went to see three shows this summer. I only went to the Atlantic City weekend run. I remember the buildup to this tour opening in Arkansas, I believe it was. Right. And so this was the first tour back from the canceled one in 2020. Where were each of you leading up to this? Were you um, in terms of COVID? Was that a worry? I have a feeling that geographically where it was might have felt a little different than where it was in the Northeast. Uh, Culturally, I think it might have been a little different or maybe not because it's fish tour and not real life. Uh, so, and there was also these conversations about whether this counts as 4.0 or is it still 3.0, a ton of great jams, a lot of group centered and slow build jamming, uh, a lot of space rock kind of that didn't always hold together, but kind of held everyone's interest at the same time. And a lot of new songs, by the way, like I Never Needed You Like This Before, uh, Lonely Trip was new, Mull, Mike played a couple of times. So I know Hannah, it was your first show or the, at least the, not this first show, but at least your first run, your first experience live and in person. Uh, Nate, you've been around a little bit longer. Nate, do you remember where your head was at leading in to this summer 2021 tour? Were you afraid? Were you confident? Were you somewhere in between? Um, I think I'd had my second shot by then. And that made me feel better about it. Um, I know that people were um, still maybe getting it even after being vaccinated, but I, I think it was got it had gotten to a point where I knew people getting had gotten it um, and were fine. And I think genetically, I've been blessed because nobody in my family, everybody got it, but nobody, it was it wasn't bad for anybody. So it may have kind of diffused a little bit by that point. But it was still like gotta be careful. Like I brought masks. It was like when we went down front, I brought a mask. I don't think it stayed on very long. I was a little preachy about vaccines. I, I told Hannah like. You have to go get you have to go get your your shot, but yeah, a little nervous, but not uh, didn't stop me from going because it was like, damn it. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> then that was the first that was the first uh, big thing that I went to. I think during COVID it was the first big thing you went to, Anna. Mm-hmm. Same, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'd heard there had been some outbreaks after like other shows. It was like, well, I mean. We can't we can't just live in fear forever and we have to go do a thing. And if I get COVID and die because of a fish show, like oh, I've seen an awesome fish show. But yeah. Hannah, what were what was your mentality? You mentioned earlier that you were just so excited, couldn't get better, ready to spring forth into this world. Yeah. Um our so I was a little anxious just with it being the first big event that I had gone to since the pandemic had hit and stuff, or since things were starting to begin to open up, I was taking the precautions as necessary. I brought a mask as well, but 
similar to Nate. It really didn't stay on too long. It was really hot and really muggy. And I so remember hot. the second show or the night two, right before the show, there was a huge storm. And as soon as we got into the venue, we all <sighs> had to like hide under the um, merch tables or the merch tents and whatnot. And so it was kind of hard to like stick to protocol. So I guess when you got there and there was kind of like not much that you could do about the situation you were in, I just tried to make the most of it. I enjoyed it. I then ended up getting vaccinated like a couple of days after, cause I got a call from um, my aunt who offered me a job up in New York. And so I was getting ready to go move to New York city for about a month or so. And so I was like, all right, let's do this. But um, leading up to that, I had some subtle anxieties, but since I was already playing, in Asheville and things were kind of opening back up there and people that I was around were taking good precautions and stuff. I felt comfortable being around people already. It was different being at a huge amphitheater, but it was something that I was able to easily adapt to. And I was just way too excited to see fish <laughs> that my yeah. my thoughts about these kinds of things were like not as important as seeing fish at the time. So yeah. All, overall, which <laughs> night was better? Night this two. night, night two? Two. Two. two night two sure. was like night one was like my first fish show. But I tell people that night two was like my my real first fish show. Like that sounds about right. Yeah. It was like my first like the big experience. Night one was like the prereq for it, which was still amazing. But night two, I was zoned in. It was great. Well, I'd say night night one felt kind of like a backyard barbecue. Uh, it, was, it was more cozy, and it wasn't. Um, I, I don't know if they really super throw down a lot, but it, it still felt great. My um, my my highlight from night one was, was Turtle in the Clouds. We said, and also the Caspian out of chalk dust. Uh, uh, it's weird to say that a Caspian is a highlight because Caspian, but it was it got so ambient it was just so like just out on the rings of saturn my mind was also out on the rings of saturn at the same time and <laughs> a caspian was just sublime it was wonderful um getting to uh, hear but, days for the first time night one yeah. live was a spiritual experience for me i remember like during pages solo i was getting so into it i was like hitting the ground and then during the stash jam that they think it was like they played that like shortly after that jam was really cool. And it got, I think, I don't remember, I think it went a little Phrygian in there, which is, they got a little Oops. flatted some notes. And so I was I just check that out again. absorbing all of the, all of the music that was coming. I think I enjoyed set one of night one more out of night one as a whole, but set two or night two itself was just like, one after the next, just, I can't believe I'm experiencing this right now. When I got buried, when the buried alive opener hit, I was like, Oh, we're in for it. That's always a good sign. Like, it's always a good sign it. when they open with buried alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it should be noted that both of these nights have several songs. If this is a metric, you know, take it for what it's worth. Both of these nights have songs that are listed on the fish.net jam charts uh, night one, everything's right. It's up there. Foam, unexpectedly to me, is up there. Chalk does torture. Really? Oh yeah, uh, chalk does torture. Nate, your Caspian is on the jam charts, uh, and that's it for night one. But night two also has "Run Like an Antelope," 
And then this kind of suite of music from set two of Tweezer, Twist, and Piper. So, mm-hmm. and that's just beside what other songs were played that you just may enjoy even at their most basic level. So these, at least according to who as a community we have designated as the guides, I don't know about the word experts because no one is really an expert at fish, uh, says the guy with the podcast, but they're, <laughs> they're at least standouts for both nights. It seems like this was a can't lose proposition. If you had to go to one night, it seemed like you didn't miss too much either way. Well, you would have missed Tweezer if you only went. To well, I guess night. that's true. But well, yeah. Hi, everybody. Brian here to welcome you to the set break of today's episode of Attendance Bias. First, thank you for listening. And second, just a quick reminder to tell you that even though Attendance Bias comes to you for free, it does take a lot of work and it does take quite a bit of money to keep the lights on here at production. So I just wanted to ask a small favor if you could support the podcast in any number of the following ways. If you could leave a review or a rating of it on whichever podcast app you use. If you could spread the word telling a friend or someone you think may be interested in it about it. Or probably the most concrete way is to go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash attendance bias and donate however much you can financially to help with the continuing costs of attendance bias. So thank you again so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the second half of today's episode. So Tweezer didn't quite open set two. More was played ahead of it, which I kind of see as a weird second set opener, although it is a big epic rock song. Nothing wrong with it. I would expect Tweezer to open the second set. Uh, Nate, can you give us just a quick elevator pitch of set one, like where your head was at after set one going into this big time second set? Well, um, going into the big time second set, um, I, I had thought about it, and you know, there's no no telling what anybody's intention was, but there was, I felt there was a little message and more because I felt like it's been great. They haven't really, really thrown down yet the way we really are hoping they will throw down, and there must be something more to this. <laughs> and then, and there kind of absolutely was. It's more. It's not. Um, not not what I would pick for an opener. In fact, I think I think um Fair to Live, I think we've said we don't want to play more. Um there's not many songs <laughs> we said that about. But uh anyway, but it, it's fine um because of it just made the anticipation like they are about to I think we I think we felt that tweezer are coming a mile away. Set one spoke to me and like I remember having just the experience for the first time of being at a fish show, just like, oh my gosh, they're like talking about me and they're talking about my life right now. And as being to, being at more fish shows, I've un, I've began to kind of like enjoy that in like a community sense. But at my first shit fish show, it was very personal. It was like, it was like, I feel like they're in my head right now. And then the next song would be like, yes, we are absolutely in your head right now. Can we not make it any more obvious? And so it was just really fun. Just like dancing to all these songs, the Reba jam during this magnificent sunset that was happening after the storm. The Kill Devil Falls was really amazing. Um, That was one song that I wasn't a huge fan of at first but after playing it in a couple cover bands or playing it with the cover band i it grew on me but after alpharetta i really began to love that song set one really set set the tone for the night and so you were I, you were ready for that you were ready for that antelope 
Oh yeah, that was like the one song I was like I started, when I came to Alpharetta, right, I was like I was I was chasing it. I started calling you Hanalope. Yeah. <laughs> I started calling myself Hanalope. It was I that was the sparkle that they played. I know that's not anyone's yeah. favorite song, but that was the first fish song I ever heard growing up as a kid. My parents didn't listen to fish, but they only had sparkle, which was so random. And so I just like loved it when they played that. But going into the second set, I had never heard more before. Like all, all of these new tunes, like Everything's Right, Set Your Soul Free, more. Like I didn't know any of those. And so I was really enjoying them and like listening to the lyrics. But I did remember being like, okay, okay, I wonder what they're going to give us after this. And then when they hit the tweezer, I like lost my mind. But looking back into the set list now, I kind of love how they pair more tweezer together because it liter- it's just more tweezer. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was just like, they're just going to give us some more tweezer. And I was, <laughs> I was with it. I'm one of the few people, I'm the minority that enjoys more. I remember being at AC last year and they went into more, I think, to close the set. And I think I was the only one that got excited, like super giddy about it. I think I think it's funny and witty when the band opens or will put in those newer 4.0 love and light songs in the set and then hit you with a fat jam afterwards. I, I like what they're doing there. That's so playful. That's so playful. Playful, yeah. Well, making up for all the evil that they got in the past. Well, they, <laughs> yeah. well, they, they did give uh, quite a fat jam on this one. Uh, in the beginning, the first thing I noticed while listening to this was Fishman was all over his samples during the um, Uncle Ebenezer breakdown, which I thought in 2021, you know, it's a toy and they all have their toys that they like to play with. But I thought this was the first time, and this is two years later, approximately, the first time that I thought I heard Fishman use them intelligently, <laughs> like, like where they should be, where they fit. And it just not as a, a novelty that where he chose to hit those samples made sense within the larger context of this song. just to get a laugh out of the audience from about six minutes or so a little bit after the uncle ebenezer breakdown trey just has this kind of four four power tweezer riff which isn't anything exceptional yet but they're just kind of marinating but i heard on the recording the audience recording the crowd is just loving it maybe it's leftover excitement from more maybe it's that they finally got the tweezer that nate you said you saw coming from a mile away this is kind of the catharsis of it
but the crowd is really into it the whole time. Yeah. I was going to say very short, very brief sidebar. We're talking about samples. Um, the Cavern Encore from the night before. If you listen, to, there's the, the break at the end of Cavern. They just all come out at once. And it was so funny. And nobody really knew what it was because they had just started doing it. So that that was a moment. Um, if you listen to that cavern, it's, it's hysterical. Anyway, I just had to throw that in because we're talking about the samples, but uh, back to Twitter. I remember that <laughs> space that they had after Uncle Ebenezer before they go back into the riff. And just watching everybody, I felt it looked like everybody started dancing in like slow motion. And it was just really <laughs> fun watching everybody get affected by like the sound waves that were coming through and seeing everybody get like having like Fishman's drum pad was more cohesive. I remember seeing on Reddit, like from shows before being like, what is that? Like people just like not really knowing where that was coming from and having that kind of be like a responsive thing that was happening in the music by that show. It was really fun to interact with Fishman's drum pad amidst the jams. And I think around nine minutes or so, it became apparent that this is going to be a fully jammed tweezer, you know, proper noun, capital letters, fully jammed tweezer as they start entering this kind of major key bliss territory. And then they speed up a little bit with a cool descending melody led by Trey and then Mike jumps on. sounds like a really good classic tweezer before this one i think my favorite one was december 30th 2019 at madison square garden which was also about oh, yeah. a half hour long and kind of sent wonderful shock waves throughout the fan base uh but while all this weird melody descending melody is going on around 11 minutes fishman is keeping things steady and this is where page's synthesizers kind of wash over the whole sound it adds a lot of color to what otherwise might sound like kind of a disjointed jam. I'm sure the two of you noticed that right away. I, I have an f- emotional connection with that synthesizer tone because it's one page synth voice that I feel like I've been able to replicate uh, pretty well. Um, it's it's a mono synth. I mean, it's a mono voice, and it's got just the right 
portamento like bending between notes that has this phasery thing and it's got just the attack is softened just a little bit and it's so velvety and wonderful i love 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 that is the that is this i don't know 3.50 i mean <laughs> i don't know i don't know software version but it is a quintessential uh, contemporary page sound that i just adore Around 14 or closer to 15 minutes, I guess, there's like the standard backbeat funk. Like we're only about halfway through this and we're already 15 minutes into this track. But Paige is leading the way. And I wrote on uh, theremin synth. I don't know what that was. And I even asked in my notes, is Trey even playing? Meanwhile, Mike is playing McGrupp. So things are happening all over the place. Hannah, I know this was your second show, not quite... uh, the novel. I mean, I'm sure the novelty was still there. Of course, you're still, you know, new to the scene in person. But are you able as a musician to kind of lock in on all four members at once? Like when you hear Paige's synthesizer, my uneducated ears calls it a theremin. I know it's not literally that, but are you able to notice things like teases and synthesizer sounds? Like uh, Nate is talking about certain voices while being surrounded by all this craziness in real time that may or may not be in slow motion. Definitely, especially in my first show, I was unable to like really think about the music on a technical term. I was just kind of going as an audience member. That's why I love Live Fish, because then it's like as soon as the show's over, I can go then and listen to it as a musician. But there were a couple things. I'm not super educated on the synthesizer realms quite yet. So there's like there's specific sounds that I can recognize, but Nothing where I'm like, oh, he's playing this keyboard now and now he's going to this. That was at the time I wasn't really like up to speed on that yet. Um, I caught the Esther tease though. I remember being in yes, and I was just like, are what? 
I was like, how did they get here? And then it just happened for like a, like a split second, and then they moved on to the next. And it just disappeared like uh-huh. sand blowing yeah. away. It was it was there, and it was not there. It was like a it was like a mass hallucination. Mm-hmm. Like I did it really happen? And it absolutely did. There's absolutely played those four chords, and it was Trey. It was really Trey. I listened to that today yeah. just to kind of think a little more about how it went down. Like Trey played that chord, and Paige kind of caught on, and Mike was doing it anyway already. So yeah, that was mystical it was mystical i think just wild after listening to this jam a handful of times i was able to kind of zone in on like how they were able to modulate the key to make the jam interesting and it seemed as if they had like these three main chunks that they all were kind of going in and out of together there was like a b minor chunk and then there was that f sharp minor chunk and then there was like a major chunk that all kind of had like a similar groove to it. And it all just kind of kept interweaving in and out of each other until they dropped you off into that funk where it was like the dun 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 Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. A little flashlight. That's what I thought I heard. Yeah, I my that. favorite part of the whole jam when he hit that stop with the I was losing my mind. Oh my God. Yes. Um Everybody's Something I noticed about that, about stop, that, 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 it sounds like a minor ninth, but I listened and I have a note, I have a timestamp with a note, but I'm on my phone, I can't switch to it, but they were playing that chord and that with that uh, syncopation like very early in the jam, like briefly. And I made my note, I was like, oh, they're playing this E minor, we are going to hear this again. Uh, but if you listen, I don't have a timestamp, but it, it they, foreshadowed that and then they came back to it like 20 minutes later and it was like the absolute absolute climax really of the whole evening it was i do think that that jam was really cool my friends and i have like dissected that jam multiple times trying to get ideas out of it and stuff you know trey loves his his nine chords and i love them too so yeah i'm I'm cool with it (laughs) i wonder if we're looking at the same part I know the end part, like the the flashlight uh, part with uh, the P-Funk, but before that, a number of minutes before that, there's just like straight up rock and roll wailing around 18 and a half minutes. And then at 20, it's just peak after peak, just huge rock and roll. And then it calms down a little bit later. Like to me, time slows down when I'm listening to Fish. We're like yeah. jamming at the at the top of their game because my notes say at 20 minutes peak after peak, and then at 21 minutes it calms down. But those peaks at 20 minutes to me could have been 10 minutes in my head. It was literally a one minute stretch.
Yeah. It's so down for me. They've got really good at peaking in the key of B. Because I, if I recall, I might be wrong, but I think that that part in the jam, they are in B. I'll have to go back and correct myself if I am, but um, it it was that was raging. It was raging. I thought that the jam was going to be over at that point. I thought that I thought so too. Week, I thought we were in for something new, and then they got like brought it down and went back into their soup, and I was like. Oh yeah, we're still in this. Is all these pieces like Paige's synth thing and that octavy thing that that Mike that Trey had? Because there's a stop with that. I I I had to go. I was listening to. I could not tell if it was Trey or Mike, so I had to go find the video because Mike was playing like airtight. It sounded like the same instrument with the bass. It was so locked in with the bass for a minute. I had to go check the video, uh, but it was Trey, and then so. All of those things, the octave thing and the, the page of the thing. came together and that uh, towards the end like all these pieces they just threw them all back in there into this glorious mess of just glorious mess uh, yeah I well toward even, the end about, even. about 22 and a half minutes there was like i wrote it was a page and fishman special because i remember reading i think it's in the fish book where one of their jamming activities or one of the things they would do in practice is they would start with a groove everyone would have to be in on it and then two of them would drop out while the other two had to keep playing it. And then they tried to figure out, they made each member play with the other three members and make sure that everyone could hold their own and form a really solid link with every other band member, no matter who the partners were. And I think it was in the fishbook where I think it was Paige who said that the weakest link was, no, it was him and Fishman. That you never really think of a good jam where it's just keyboards and drums, you know, because that especially when it comes to more traditional rock music that rarely happens unless you're Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Uh, But they tried every iteration of two by two. And it turned out that they felt the weakest link was Page and Fish. And that's not the case at about 23 minutes because the crowd is loving it. And it's just the big piece is Page and Fishman. There are some moments with Page on his whirly. 
and the hi-hats, there was the chains and the hi-hats and the hi-hats and the whirly were like the same instrument for a minute or two. It really was just, uh, and to me, I, I have to pay, I have to learn about paying attention. It's most natural for me to follow the guitar. I've been getting better at following uh, the drums more um, with our gigs. And it's got a lot to do with just the way you're facing, the way you have things set up and uh, eye contact and those kind of things. But yeah, uh, you really, really the drums and the, uh, the the whirly and the hi-hat in that moment. That was a little earlier in the jam, but it, that uh, that is one thing that stood out to me. And it ends around 30-ish minutes with this descending groove. And I wrote, is this from a P-Funk song? You called it, it's Flashlight, right? It sounds like flash, Flashlight-ish, yeah. Yeah. But it's not exactly that. I wrote it was some Jungian P funk song that was never actually played, but somehow exists in all of our musical memories. It's like a collective funk song. Conglomerate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And on Fishman is using his sample pad for good. Yeah. You know, for if, if only you could use your powers for good, he finally did it instead of just for laughs. Oh, I was just going to say that was so awesome. Just that P funk that they hit. That was definitely probably a highlight of me or a highlight for the whole show for me. Everybody was grooving so hard. It was so awesome. And they must have felt the same way because Trey starts playing the riff for Twist to go into it. And from everything I've read and heard, and I've listened to it, of course, but from the people who were there, say that riff was just kind of tweezer spillover. Like the good jams that was in it. Would you agree with that? The Twist just made so much sense after that tweezer, like jam-wise. It kind of gave them the space to like have a cohesive song, but then to dip right back into the jams that they were in. I felt like they didn't like... We didn't get like lifted back up from the jam realms. It was just like they just sent us back in it because that was like a that was a long twist that they played after. We got a good 
was it like 13 minutes or something? Yeah, 15, 13 yeah. to 15 minutes of more jams. Uh, yeah, we were in it. Um, and then maybe some days, maybe my favorite, favorite, most sacred fish song, Piper. That moment going into Piper, I just, uh, uh, <laughs> I lost it. It was so good. I was so excited for you too because I remember being in the car and you were like, yeah. I was like "Yes, please, Piper, 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 yes, please." He did it, and he he got really into his delay, and then not the first time he did that, but it was it was a new thing that very fast, and then the almost like almost like early U two, like the delay was so tight and it was so so locked in, and it, it was. Any other night, that would have been the highlight of the show, but it had come after that tweezer, and it still was like secondary highlight. Personally, for me, Piper is the ultimate. So to get a Piper after all of that, that was it was next level. It was that sequence. Seemed twenty something as shows going back to ninety nine. A lot of three That was probably the best sequence, the tweezer twist Piper that I've seen of anything. Well, Nate and Hannah from, respectively, Adam Knight's Buried Alive and the Lumpy Heads, thank you so much for being here on Attendance Bias to talk about Tweezer, plus a little bit extra, on August 1st, 2021 at Alpharetta. So one more time, uh, Nate, can you just give a quick plug for your band or bands, everything you got to say? Hannah, please do the same afterward. Adam Knight's Buried Alive, that's our domain name, adamknightsburiedalive.com. We have a Facebook page we also have a facebook group that we've just started so we're kind of using that for polling and market research and silliness hannah if you're on facebook join our group um anybody else yeah oh you are in our group okay cool cool and then my other band is called origami so it's origami the domain is origamiband.com and that is uh, also on facebook we play we play um a good bit around well they, they travel some too um they have to get a sub sometimes because they have have both bands and kids to manage. But uh, those two, uh, we uh, Bear to Love, we do have some good clips on YouTube. There is a, a awesome 18 minute sample sample that we played in Raleigh. That would be my first thing to show anybody uh, that wants to hear an 18 minute thing. But anyway, yep, those two bands. Look us up, friend us, say hi, like us, join our group. And Hannah, where can all the listeners hear you? You can check out the Lumpy Heads every Thursday at the One Stop in Asheville, North Carolina, or online at IMAVL. We live stream every Thursday, and then we are of it. We are on Instagram and Facebook, um, the Lumpy Heads, and then Fern is my band based in Greenville. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook at Fern.band. We've got a bunch of shows coming up this summer. Um, we're playing in Greenville, South Carolina. Asheville, North Carolina, and have a show in Atlanta. So if any of you Southeastern folks enjoy Sweetwater Tap Room, we're playing there um, in July. So we would, or in June, if you want to look at our Instagram, (laughs) we've got all of our dates there, but come check us out. We love it. And we love to dance and get down with other people and yeah, just sharing the groove. All right, Nate, Hannah, thank you so much. Thank Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for today's episode with Hannah and Nate. And to make sure we got everything right, it is now time for the very short Attendance Bias Fact Check. Attendance Bias Fact Check. 
Hannah joined the Lumpy Heads by joining one day and never leaving, and I compared it to Lou Gehrig. For a little baseball history, on June 2nd, 1925, New York Yankees first baseman Wally Pipp complained of a headache when he got to the stadium for that day's game. The Yankees manager, Miller Huggins, benched Pip and put Lou Gehrig in at first base in Pip's place. Gehrig would go on to start 2,130 games at first, never relinquishing the position until his retirement. Wally Pip has been quoted as saying, quote, I took the two most expensive aspirins in history. While I haven't been able to find the details about Coventry, it has been confirmed that there was a Roma-style wooden carriage at the festival that was intended to be a centerpiece for the band's late-night, quote, secret set. However, due to the mud and, I'm sure, other backstage circumstances, the set never came to pass. You Enjoy Myself is indeed the most often played Fish song, having been performed 603 times to date. Second is Possum, having been played 551 times, according to Zizix's IHA's Labs website, Fish Stats. The twist that came after Tweezer has an official timing of 11 minutes and 13 seconds. And that's it for today's episode. I'd like to thank very much Nate and Hannah for joining me today. Fish.net and Zizix for their help with the fact check, and Fish.in for the recording used in today's episode. If you enjoy Attendance Bias, please support the show by visiting www.buymeacoffee.com slash Attendance Bias and donating anything you can. You can also follow Attendance Bias on social media. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next week on Attendance Bias. Attendance Bias.